0: a well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, ambassador of 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. We want to thank both of them for their support and encouragement, and thanks to our podcasting partner, Pullstream Press for this great studio, and to Patrick, my co-host. Welcome, Patrick.
1: Hi, Mark, so nice to see you.
0: Well, today's guests are Tyler Isaac and Megan Miranda. Hey. Hey,
2: good morning.
3: Great to see you. How are you? Doing great, thank you.
0: Tell me the name of your company. I love I love this name. The company is called Slightly Nutty. And, and it's not what anybody thinks, right?
2: Well, it depends who you ask. We could be a little bit nutty ourselves. Um, but it's actually the flavor of our product, which is cricket powder or cricket flour roasted in powdered crickets.
0: I love that. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna talk about, everybody. When I heard um, someone wrote and said, you gotta talk to these guys because what they're doing is fantastic. And for the people who, uh, the person, because we're talking to one person, we're right inside someone's head right now, right? They're listening to this podcast and w- we want to give them a little bit of context, and one of the things that's fantastic about this area is uh, something called the the Bren School. And for those who don't know what the Bren School is out at UCSB, Megan, why don't you tell us what the Bren School is and kind of set a little bit of context of how this all came about.
3: Well, the Bren School is an environmental school. that actual degree is called a Masters of Environmental Science and Management. And what it focuses on is blending both the science that goes into caring for the environment with economic viability and policy analysis. So you're not just looking at it from a purely environmental perspective, you're looking at it from how do we make this work with industry and what the actual goings on. And the way that this project actually started was in Tyler's brain, so I think he should actually be the one that gets to talk about the formation and the concept of the company. But it was our master's thesis. We just graduated in June. Congratulations. And thank you. And we're incorporated and launching. And Tyler, if you want to talk about your brainchild, that'd be great. <laughs>
0: well, I want to, before we get into that, because I wanted this, there's this, um, they called it Eco Entrepreneurship Fellow. Yes. So, and the way Megan just described it. So, the 805 conversation is about uh, economic vitality and us being a catalyst for conversation around these kinds of businesses, and new ways of thinking about business. I loved the way you said that, Megan, which was it's not just environmental, it's what's the impact of that and how you study that. So why don't you explain what it means to be an eco-entrepreneurship fellow?
2: Sure. Um, That was actually what brought me back to school. I graduated from Boston University in 2011 and was spending my time working in aquaculture, actually in the Bahamas, and
0: that sounds like a tough gig
2: yeah no it was the absolute worst i wanted to get out of there as fast as i could no really no absolutely not okay <laughs> <laughs> well you had me going there it uh so that's why i was saying it's the eco entrepreneurship program is what brought me back from mm-hmm. such a nice mm-hmm. gig um effectively it's the bren school's alternative thesis or not necessarily even alternative but there's two kind of tracks you can go on you either do the group project or eco-entrepreneurship track. And with eco-entrepreneurship, you develop your own business model as your thesis, and it satisfies both an environmental issue as well as a customer problem. So as opposed to developing a business or a product that you're going to push into the market and find customers for, you do this iterative process of customer discovery where you have, a, I guess, a a market that you want to go into, be it food production or the energy water nexus, or, I don't know, uh, solar power, things like that, you go find out what these people's problems are and tailor your solution to solve that problem for them. And um, I've been working in aquaculture, like I mentioned, and food production has been a passion of mine, so I came to the eco-entrepreneurship program with that focus in the food and agriculture sphere, trying to find a more sustainable way to produce protein um, as we produce fish and shellfish and uh, chickens and all sorts of livestock production is actually very resource intensive. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was the the genesis of Slightly Nutty was how can we create an alternative protein to feed to livestock and aquaculture that's not as environmentally damaging as something like soy meal or fish meal.
0: So part of being an entrepreneur is, as you said, is finding a problem and then seeing if you've got the passion to develop the solution. So what's the problem that you solved or that you saw is out there that you're, you're attempting to solve?
2: Well, so there was a bit of evolution from where we started to where we are now, but I guess I'll start with where we started. Um, effectively, aquaculture is, if not the fastest growing food production industry, it's one of them. Uh, poultry is growing very fast as so well.
0: Give us an example of aquaculture. That So for someone who's not familiar with that term, what that means.
2: Aquaculture is farming in the water, so okay. uh, fish farming, shellfish farming, farming of seaweed, um, anything that you farm aquatically can be considered aquaculture. Okay, And so something like farm-raised salmon is probably the most well-known sure. example of aquaculture. And the problem that we were seeking to solve is in order to create a farmed fish that we wanna eat, which generally tends to be carnivorous, like salmon or tuna or trout, things like that, catfish, for sure, example, sure. those require high levels of protein in their diet in order to grow to market size fast enough. And mm, the majority yeah. of that protein comes from either fish meal or soy meal. And fish meal is all wild caught. It's more, well, not all wild caught, but mostly wild caught from wild stocks of sardines and anchovies. Okay, And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at, not only the math, but also the biomass that we're harvesting from the ocean to turn into fish meal to then feed to farm-raised fish. You're effectively just losing fish as you go up the food chain. Got you it. could feed more people by feeding them the anchovies than feeding it to salmon and then feeding oh, it. Oh, interesting. Right. <laughs> and so um, the industry is responding to increases in prices and volatility associated with the price of fish meal because it's a wild stock and overfishing causes the stocks to go down, which makes sure. the price go sure. up. Things like El Nino can also affect stocks of anchovies. And Positively so, or negatively?
0: Negatively. Okay. So
2: when El Nino comes in, just a little bit of science here, the El Ninos come in and it warms the surface water, right. which basically then drives primary production down, primary production of things like algae and phytoplankton which is what the sardines and anchovies eat. So if the water's too warm, there's less food for the anchovies, and the anchovy populations decline naturally. And so, anyways, um, these populations of anchovies are very volatile, and the price in the market is volatile. So the aquaculture industry is looking for something more stable. So they started to include more and more soy meal and soybean proteins
0: into the diet. But now aren't we introducing GMO soy into farm-red farm-raised salmon.
2: Oh yeah, all the time. 98% of the soybeans grown in the United States are GMO. And uh, that's not, in my opinion, even the biggest issue with that. It's that salmon don't eat soybeans. <laughs> they they don't grow in fields. Oh, come on. And it's actually, there's quite a lot of research showing that soybean meal itself causes a lot of gastrointest- gastrointestinal distress with fish that aren't built to eat it in the same way that Uh, grain causes issues for cattle as opposed to grass and that leads to a lot of the use of antibiotics in salmon farming because the fish are stressed out and getting sick because they're eating what they're not supposed to eat and got it so soy meal is now one of the primary ingredients in most fish feeds and the production of soy meal is very resource intensive as well you can't just magically create soybeans but you need to have agriculture land you need to use a lot of water you need to use a lot of fertilizer and none of that really made any sense to megan and i so we wanted to create an alternative solution and that's where insects came in
0: so well, this is fascinating so it's a, a complete replacement protein replacement and the primary market is aquaculture feeding fish well yes Or that's a big problem. No, Megan's... Initially that was... You can't see her shaking her (laughs) head, no.
2: Initially that was, um, but the economics play a really big role. And uh, in order for a protein ingredient to be accepted and adopted into these livestock feed ingredients, it needs to be very low in price.
0: Okay, sure. And
2: the insect farming industry is fairly nebular, and the technologies haven't been really developed to the point where we can produce these insect proteins at a commercially viable level. Um, in the last three to five years, they've made outstanding leaps in that direction, and now the primary thing holding this back is regulatory.
1: It's people don't want to eat insects.
2: Well, no, not necessarily people don't want to eat insects. I but mean, the
1: government doesn't want to
2: it clear it. Well, so then we're switching from aquaculture into people eating insects, and that's where this transition came in is We were looking to farm these insects to feed to fish, but on a small scale, it wasn't cost-effective. And part of the...
0: You couldn't make enough crickets. Right, exactly.
2: Part of the eco-entrepreneurship model is to develop a solution from the ground up, and you find a problem that you can solve and scale it appropriately. Right. And so we started looking at, well, are there higher-value insects out there that don't need to be on the scale of soybean production in the United States to be cost effective. And what we found- You're talking
0: about millions of tons, right? Yeah. Something like that, millions of tons? Millions of tons. Got it.
2: Um, so yeah, we That's were- a lot of crickets. It's a lot of crickets, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> um, so what we started looking at is what other outlets for insects are there? And we found, like I mentioned before, this growing edible insect industry in the United States where People are taking crickets and roasting them and powdering them and then using those as protein ingredients in consumer packaged goods like nutrition bars or chips or baked goods.
1: So did you guys have to – you guys aren't – you didn't have to generate the farm. You just had to you're, – you're connecting then with the people that are already already producing crickets.
3: No, actually, we are creating our own farm. We're incorporated, and we move into our warehouse next week. Wow. And Yay. Yeah. yeah, we'll be great uh, raising our own insects here locally in Santa Barbara. Initially, what we're starting with is crickets for human consumption. So actually, if you go down to Backyard Bowls, you'll find Exo bars on the counter. And those are... That's X and an O. Or is it E-X- E-X-O?
2: Got it. Like exoskeleton.
1: Oh. oh, okay, mm-hmm. awesome, <laughs>
2: great.
3: And those are one of the comp- consumer product uh, companies that we're working with that we want to sell our product to. They are already using cricket powder as the protein ingredient in mm. their nutrition bar. Nice.
1: Mm. But so,
0: look, so there, I've got a hundred what? questions. You, have got.
1: I'm writing them as fast as I can write. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, this. So it sounds like there's several interesting things. The business issue. There's the sustainability issue. I kind of go right to the marketing one, the positioning one. How how do you get people to eat this? But it's kind of not your problem because you're selling to the people who are making the bars that are going. to So it's kind of their problem, the positioning. Is right. that correct?
2: Well, in a sense, um, we basically, if we want to be successful, they need to be successful. Okay, and so great, great. we're doing our part to kind of normalize the consumption of insects for humans in can, the Western Patrick, world.
0: can you believe we're having a conversation where they said normalize the consumption of insects?
1: Well, yeah, I can believe it. Yeah. If you can if you can normalize uh, the eating of something that's very attractive and pretty and beautiful, you know, like, like a like a salmon, then why couldn't you normalize the eating of something that's not as attractive that uh, you know
2: And I think there's a lot of stranger things that have been normalized for yeah. us to eat, like uni, for example. And it's a very, yeah. Who okay, was the, who was the first
1: person that cracked open an oyster and went, Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's food. It's a rock with an oyster. Okay, in it. Yeah. I got um, it.
2: And if you think about it, lobsters, for example, or shrimps, uh, yeah. or crayfish are arthropods, the same right. group that insects are. And okay. this is, I'm sorry, okay,
1: I, need, I need to hear about the back of the napkin moment. I, I want to hear about the moment when the two of you were sitting down and you went, Okay, this is the vision, this is the plan. Like, how did this come about? How did the two of you. Get there. Tell me that that origin story. That sounds like a great story.
3: Okay. Well, what happened is, as Tyler mentioned, he was working in the Bahamas at a fish farm, and he wanted to raise grouper because they're not being farmed or caught sustainably. And he looked at the back of the fish food because he was working at a sustainable fishery farm. Right. And it said fish meal is one of the main ingredients. So you're raising grouper to offset wild-caught grouper, but you're catching wild fish to feed this farm fish. It's just a very... Sounds insane. Yes, illogical cycle. So he came to the Bren School going into this eco-entrepreneurship track with the idea of using insects as a protein source for specifically fish foods.
0: Now, had you heard about... Had you read about this someplace?
2: Well, so Megan missed the key piece for that for me so I was in the Bahamas it's always he said and she said so get <laughs> used to that guys yeah, we're, we're basically married um <laughs> congratulations so when I was in the Bahamas that was when Hurricane Sandy came and we were uh, working on this offshore aquaculture cage it was about two miles offshore and as you can imagine the hurricane did quite a lot of damage to that and so um I was at the end of my six months there and I came back to the states and started working at a trout farm actually in Connecticut down the road from where I grew up. And people go fly fishing for trout all the time. And and so in the Bahamas, I had been thinking, Uh, what can I, well, no, not in the, down there, I was thinking maybe I can grow some little fish or maybe I can grow snails or or some small Mm. crustacean um, that's high in protein. And then as I was working at this trout farm, watching people go fly fishing down the road after we dump the fish into the river. it's like, oh, like, duh, fish eat insects. You go fly fishing and started getting on the internet. And it's actually been researched for the last 30 years or so mm. with plenty of publications showing that the inclusion of insects into fish diets is actually not just okay, but beneficial. It, it performs better in a lot of cases than soy meal alternatives. And so... That was the goal, was to come here and, and do this. And the unique thing about raising insects is that you can raise them using organic waste streams. And so organic waste, like food scraps coming out of a restaurant or a supermarket or a household, um, The le- let's see, I think it was 36 million tons of food scraps alone were produced in the United States last year. And
0: So, so let's stay, I want to interrupt you for just a second. I want to stay on the just for a second because I want to get back to this is a different way of thinking about business, the, what Bren is teaching you, right? So it's completely right. different way of thinking about it. So you are looking at everything as sustainable and you figure out, okay, so how am I gonna feed the crickets? Right. And you came up with?
2: Well, so initially what we were working with when we were hoping to grow insects to feed to fish was an insect called the black soldier fly larva. And that is a little grub that you can find in every compost pile pretty much in the United States. Okay. And they eat a whole range of organic material from food scraps to manure, and they grow really fast and are really nutritious for fish. But that was when we ran into these economic difficulties. It doesn't really work at a small scale. You need to be getting millions back of back to investment. our millions of tons, right? Right. Right. And so... We started looking at other insects, and we found out about people eating crickets in these protein bars. Is there a center for the cricket
0: industry or cricket research? Uh,
3: no, there are various Is there cricket, pockets. Um, well, there are cricket farms that are very large scale and have been in operation for decades, supplying to specifically the oh. pet food industry. Oh. And they can't okay. just switch over to uh, providing food for people. There are regulatory issues with that. Got it. But there's no s- hub, they're dispersed all over the nation. There wasn't
0: some research in, researcher in some school, and then Not from there it grew.
2: I would say though, the kind of hub right now for the edible insect industry is probably Austin, Texas. There's a cricket farm there, there's several startups there that are using the cricket flour that they're producing. Um, and they've. I was just there about a month ago and, and met up with a bunch of those guys, and it's, uh, There's a good energy there, and I think that as that kind of culture begins to percolate outward and start to spread, that you'll see it. Um, San Francisco is kind of one of these bubbling hot spots, I guess you could call it, for edible insects, too. Mm. There's a food truck there. There's (laughs) a company producing... What's uh, the name of the food truck? It's Don Beguito, and it's by a woman named Monica Martinez, and she uh, is... Well, she's been in business longer than these cricket powder producers have been, and she's been trying to introduce the consumption of insects as they are in their their natural form. So <clears throat> that, that's harder, isn't it? It's quite a lot harder. Um,
1: <laughs> how long How long is a side note detail? How long does it take from what's the harvest cycle? or what do you what do you start with? and then so like do you do you receive eggs or you and then how long before you you know like how long does a batch? take to make for you guys and how much are you making in a batch
2: so we're still at our lab at the brent school we have a fellowship that extends for the next six months um well i guess next four months now the summer (laughs) has been going by very fast um welcome to the new business right (laughs) we have uh we have a rack at school that we have now temperature controlled and humidity controlled we're basically modeling the system that we're going to be putting into this warehouse that we'll move into and Where's the warehouse at? What part of town? It's in Galita, actually, just off the 217. And um, right now, we probably have around 15,000 crickets that should be matured in about uh, three weeks or so, three or four weeks. And that would uh, come to probably around three pounds of cricket powder. They're about 75% water. Um, the timeline that you were talking about is from hatch till... Their breeding, which is when they develop their wings to start chirping, Hmm. that's when we harvest them because that actually takes a lot of energy for them to create those appendages. So we want them to be as nutritious as possible. So that takes about six weeks from hatching until then.
0: Was that some, excuse me, this fascinating. was that something (laughs) that you learned from other people's research or you noticed that... It's kind of like the reason you want to pinch buds on flowers because you want to right. send the energy back to the fruit.
2: It's something we learned from both primary and secondary research. Um, we looked at the literature, and there's been quite a few studies showing the difference between protein content in crickets when they're nymphs, which is when they're just born, for mm-hmm. example, versus when they're adults breeding. And also the other cricket farms that have been in operation um, The people that started to purchase those crickets to turn them into cricket powder were buying the ones that were just before breeding age. And that's just what we've been going on. But uh, as we've got planned for the next six months, we've got a lot of R&D that we want to do both on uh, what we're feeding to the crickets, but also how we harvest and process them to create a nutritionally optimal product.
0: So let's go back to the, Megan, tell us about the the feeding part, how, do, how does that work? How do you feed them?
3: Well, crickets naturally eat what's called detritus in the wild. It's not the rotting, but the decomposing leaf litter at the bottom of the forest. Okay. So that's what makes them suitable to use organic waste streams because they are natural decomposers. So okay. if you think about a waste that's stream. That's their job. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we're trying quite a few different ways to feed them. Uh, we've tried some gelatinized feed types where you take the waste streams and essentially make a jello, and then that waters and feeds them all at once. We've tried dry food, powdered food. We're just seeing how they like it best, basically.
0: So we play something on the show called Buzzword Bingo. Mm-hmm. because everybody we bring in is their, your domain experts in this world. I'm not exactly sure what a waste stream is. So I'm going to call buzzword bingo on. Tell me what a a waste stream is.
3: Basically a consistent source of waste. So, for example, if you think about, uh, what is it, Marborg that comes by each week and picks up your rubbish, that's one waste stream. That's not what we use. Uh, We use pre-consumer waste streams. So So, so
0: there's a. Bingo again. I don't know what pre-consumer. I I read that in your literature. I was just about to tell you. (laughs) Okay. Stop cutting her off, I'm I'm so sorry.
3: So pre-consumer means before you come to the consumer. Something that's off of a restaurant plate would be post-consumer, so after the consumer has come into contact with it. Yes, yes. But think about the extra materials that you have left over when you're making a food product. That would be pre-consumer organic waste streams. because it hasn't yet come into contact with the consumer got
2: it and we can't tell you which pre-consumer waste streams we're using because it's proprietary that's kind of our secret sauce
0: you got to have that yeah definitely so you you have a a consistent source of food and now you're trying to figure out what's the best way to get the food to the crickets exactly that's i mean that's part of the kind of the cool thing that Bren does and the universities do is they they're solving these big problems and then the entrepreneurial culture out at UCSB is to encourage you to get out there and create a business out of this so give me an example of some of the I mean is there is this patentable what you're talking about doing yes
2: but patenting something like this would be the same thing for coca-cola patenting their secret recipe. They don't do that. It's a trade secret. They have it locked up in some vault somewhere. When you patent something, you have to detail it in yeah, extraordinary you to,
0: detail. You have to tell everybody what you did. It's exactly. Just like, what?
2: <laughs> and so for us, um, we're using a variety of mixtures of pre-consumer waste streams that we're testing out right now. I see. And so not only are we researching how to best deliver that to the crickets, um, like Megan mentioned, either gelatinizing the food or drying it out or hitting it with a uv sterilizer to make sure that you can feed it wet but there's no bacteria things like that Mm -hmm. but we also are experimenting with different mixtures because as you can imagine something like i don't know juice pulp for example would look very different nutritionally than something like fish scraps and so by creating a mixture you can kind of tailor the diet to mm. be appropriate not only for a species but even within the species at different life stages, or there's there's all sorts of variables at play.
0: How do you? Okay, so I'm I, I'm imagining myself as a species and and you know optimizing my food stream <laughs> that comes into <laughs> me, and they go and do a a blood test on me and measure all my blood and tell me where I need more fruits and vegetables or whatever it is. So is it kind of the same thing?
3: similar and if you think about it just like a human baby or a cow baby would need different nutrition than a right. uh, rapidly growing adolescent versus an adult we're working on tailoring different diets to these different life stages because uh. the nutritional needs of the nymph are not the same as that of uh, the reproducing adult
0: is that pre-chirp yes the chirps <laughs> come
3: in once they start reproducing what it's actually not them rubbing their legs together. What it's is it? Their wings. So uh, they grow wings when they become uh, ready to make babies and they rub those together and that's what makes the chirping noise.
0: But you you said that you're harvesting them pre-chirp, pre-breeding. Do you have to preserve some percentage of them so that you've got a sustainable next batch?
3: Exactly.
2: Right. Yeah, we got keep, it. It's, it's another buzzword. How do you it's pick that? Brood stock.
1: Brood style. Uh, That's nice. from chicken farming type stuff. Exactly. I thought that uh, was an 80s band. It <laughs> was. Yeah. We saw them three times in concert down at the Memorial Coliseum. Hey, um so I saw a Snowpiercer did you see Snowpiercer? I haven't seen Snowpiercer. Oh, I f- my. I feel like I need to. Have people talked to you about it?
2: Plenty of times. Yeah, I'm I not, bet. I'm yeah. not the biggest movie guy.
1: That's fine. There's a scene in Snowpiercer. It's a post-apocalyptic world, and, and there's a, it's a train that's traveling around the world. And the back half of the train uh, are the lowest-income people, and they are being uh, supported by these protein bars that mm. are being kicked out by one train car ahead of them. Mm. And when they finally break through, the, 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 the revolution breaks through the doors, and they open up um, the protein bar machine, they are absolutely aghast to realize that it's full of crickets, full of... Full of well, welcome to 2015. Well, and, <laughs> but, and, and, that's, and that's what kind of, I, I think that's what's great about like, listening to what you're talking about, where you're like, well, first off, it, it, it's a much more complex and cleaner system than that. And, and, and second off, yeah, that's how you feed people. <laughs>
3: And what's interesting is this isn't a novel idea. People have been eating insects for millions of years in multiple areas. Southeast Asia and Africa actually regard it as a very high quality protein the same way that we would Mm. regard a steak because that's exactly what it is. It tastes great. And it provides excellent nutrition. It's just that here in Westernized society, it's not something that we're used to seeing as food. Mm-hmm. Similar to the idea with the French eat horses, and we, for the most part, right. wouldn't.
1: Right, but it's it's still just it's just still it's a protein source, right? I mean, a that's kind of what you source of protein. Like, well, a, that, yeah, that's
0: know. the thing, right? It's it's it. Talk about the econ- economics of this protein source versus others, because right now we're. We're in a drought situation. I just heard some staggering number of how much water it takes to make an almond.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right. it's like a gallon per almond. Yeah, so, so, the, so talk to us about that. The one that
2: really hits home with this in terms of the environmental benefits are the water savings. And if you imagine a field of soybeans, for example, that's going to take a lot of water to to irrigate that crop. And then as you go up the food chain the animals that we're feeding soybeans to also need to drink water, but they're eating soybeans in a concentrated form in their feed diets. So the water use compounds as you go Hmm. up. And I think Megan just pulled up uh, part of the analysis that we did as our master's thesis by calculating the water usage of crickets relative to all of these other protein sources on a per unit protein basis. So we normalize things. There's more protein actually in crickets than there is in dried beef, for example, like beef jerky. So pound for pound. Right. Of protein, though, not of product. Protein. Got it.
3: Exactly. So this is a very staggering difference. And what crickets are now directly displacing is soy protein and whey protein. But the comparisons to livestock are also staggering. So to create one pound of beef protein, you would need over 13,000 gallons of water. Almost seven thousand gallons of water for a pound of pork. Wait,
1: wait, 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 wait! Thirteen thousand gallons of water per pound of beef.
3: If you've ever, come I just want in that
2: to sink in. Per pound of beef, yeah. protein, it so. gets,
3: it gets more intense. Oh my god!
2: So, like a steak, for example, is yeah. not a hundred percent protein. So this is how we normalized.
1: So wow. every steak I eat, if I if I eat a, a half pound steak, for instance, or or even a sixteen, ounce, I eat a sixteen ounce steak. That was 13,000 gallons of water to make that?
2: No, not necessarily. Okay. So in a steak, for example, you might have between 20 and 40% protein at the maximum. So it's not even. And so when we normalize this per unit protein, one steak is not one pound of protein. Oh, my God. So you might need like four steaks to create a pound of protein. So (sighs) four steaks would cost you 13,000 gallons, but one steak would be a quarter of that.
1: Yeah, but still. It's still if, absurd. Yeah. If they brought to the table all of the water that went for the steak,
2: the table would fall over. Yeah,
1: no
3: you'd no have no. a swimming pool.
1: Okay. <laughs> I just I just because you can throw a number out there, right? And it sounds big, but like l- like that sinks in in a very um that's a very meaningful way. Yeah, that ad- every swimming pool that I've ever swam in has made me one steak. Okay.
3: Exactly. Um, So those are some of the livestock stats, but what really was mind-boggling for me was whey protein requires over 50,000 gallons of water for one pound. And the reason for this is, as I just mentioned, cattle require a lot of water, but then you have to process and isolate the whey protein. So the amount of cattle that you need to produce the milk that you then process into cheese, which you then take the leftovers and then process into whey, is staggering. And with the other main competitor is soy. So that requires 600 gallons of water for one pound. But here's where the water savings come in. Crickets only require six gallons of water to make one pound of protein. Six
0: gallons. Wow.
3: They consume a lot of their water from their feed source. So actually, as Tyler was mentioning, we're looking at trying to feed our waste streams to them wet. So if we sterilize it and just feed it to them as. And you're
0: not using any extra water.
3: None.
2: Correct, you can wow. actually recapture it from what would otherwise either be going to landfill or being composted or anaerobically, anaerobically digested, which is waste to energy for the buzzword finale <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wow we may have a winner here <laughs> waste to energy okay so let's let's shift gears a little bit, so I understand the economics sounds fantastic um, how I would love to know how many pounds of beef and how many pounds of soybean and all of that we consume. So when we look at that, how many crickets do you need to make to get us – how many crickets does it take to get a pound
1: of – 15,000 to get, what, three pounds? Is that what you said?
0: Yeah,
2: so it takes uh, – when we're we're talking about adult crickets, the size that we're harvesting them, um, you need – between four and 5,000 of them to create one pound of crickets. And how much room or does rather that one, take up? One pound of powder, rather, I apologize. One pound of powder. powder okay. Yeah. Um, how much room does that take up? You yeah. can grow about 1,000 crickets in one cubic foot. And <laughs> the reason I say cubic foot That's is because we're not just operating on a single plane, but you can actually grow crickets in tanks that you stack vertically. So in a small area of land, square footage-wise, you can go taller and multiply your production that way.
0: So, and the footprint is small.
2: Much smaller. I think Megan has numbers on that like
0: too. The car- so the carbon footprint for this industry is pretty small as well, right?
2: Um, that's being like developed right now. There hasn't really been studies calculating the greenhouse gas emissions of crickets versus uh, beef, for example, but theoretically it's about 10,000
1: times less. Mark, are you going towards the chefing thing? Or are you about to get into the, like, what do you make with it? Like, so, okay, we've got this protein. What do you make with it?
0: Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always doing gluten-free things and working with powders. And so I could imagine a, a million things you could make with this, right? It's just, it's a great protein. I mean, it's actually, you could add it to things you're already doing in exactly. that protein, right?
2: So we've made a bunch of but things. But it's
0: not, so, okay, so to that point, it might be gluten-free, but it's not vegan, which throws... Mm. Or Yeah, vegetarian? well, it,
2: de- it also depends why you're a vegetarian or a vegan, because if it's oh. an environmental reason, then you should be eating crickets because they're more environmentally efficient than, than soybeans. Yeah. And so uh, it depends why the person is a vegan or a vegetarian themselves.
0: Got it. OK, that makes sense. So let's switch again. So uh, in any great partnership, um, there's a division of labor right? So you're not doing the same thing. So Megan, what, what, what do you, what's your passion in this business? What do you spend your time? What are you just focused on?
3: Well, right now I'm focused on developing the website and getting our message out there and being able to have people browse through that and get a clear, concise idea of what we're doing, why it's important and how it affects their daily life. Okay. But Because it's just the two of us right now, we actually have a very close-knit, intimate team. For the most part, as you can probably tell from this podcast, Tyler does most of the talking. (laughs) And uh, I focus more on figuring out how to exactly make this work. How does this happen in the most efficient way? Um, I do what's called life cycle analysis, and I'm going to tell you what that means. (laughs) It's basically quantifying the environmental impacts of either a product So cricket powder in this case, or a process, which would be how you raise the crickets. And we're doing this so that we can actually scientifically verify the amount of energy and water and feed savings that we're offering by using insects as a feed source. So that's another one of my main key focuses.
0: And will that information, do you believe that information helps you sell and attract investment and it's, it's as much marketing as it is? Research
3: absolutely. Uh, the entire reason that Tyler and I are in this industry—we both have agricultural backgrounds. Just, I don't believe you guys actually got to hear this, but I come from a multi-generational cattle ranching family and have been intimately involved with agriculture essentially since I was old enough to walk. You were wow. born
0: in. You were born yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. And tell us where that was.
3: Oh, I'm from the Big Island of Hawaii. Hmm. So we've been ranching cattle there, I think, for six generations. Isn't that can... the
0: largest cattle ranch in the United States?
3: It used to be. It was called Parker Ranch. Right. But the largest privately owned cattle ranch in the United States is now in Alaska, which makes sense. <laughs> but... Just
0: like Hawaii made sense to have the largest cattle ranch. <laughs> I the first time I heard that, I said, "Really?" So okay. So you've been around ag your whole life.
3: Exactly, and. We've seen the inefficiencies of how the agricultural system works as it is, and that's the reason that both of us came to the Bren School was how do we push this forward and take agricultural indus- the agricultural industry out of its current state and push it forward so that we can feed more people more efficiently using less resources and make it economically viable, meaning that it makes sense money-wise. So it is a marketing issue because as we get more people on the planet, it's going to grow by 2 billion people in the next couple decades, and they're going to start demanding more protein. We have to figure out how to feed these people. How do we feed 2 billion more people that all want chicken dinner? So if we can figure out how to do that using things that were waste and turning it into something that's really valuable and really nutritious that's gonna be one of the best economic sellers that we have.
0: The way you just put that, once you put that in words on the website, that's pretty compelling. Yeah, I I, I think,
2: I think nowadays too, especially moving forward in the future, um, environmental benefits are also going to be economic benefits. I mean, the price of water is going to continue to rise as we have a massive drought. Call it blue gold. Yeah, exactly. And the, the price of food is going to continue to rise because it uses sure. natural resources and natural capital to produce that. And if we can produce things in a more closed loop, full circle type of economy that actually recycles and reuses materials that are considered waste, there's no such thing as waste in natural systems.
0: I mean, this is like the most sustainable thing I've heard in, in a long time, the way you're, you're able to take the waste, turn it into food, I love that. Let me ask a question about this region. So the Bren School is what got you here. It's it's world famous. Um, It's a spectacular program there. And now you've graduated. You don't have to stay here. It's a beautiful place. So what's going to keep you in the region? What's going to keep us as one of the centers for cricket production on the planet?
2: I'd say there's... Two things primarily for us. One is all of the local partnerships that we've developed. Um, as Megan's been mentioning, a lot of this is based in economics. and If you're going to be sourcing a variety of waste streams to be able to mix them together into a feed, you need to be able to optimize that collection. Because right. any greenhouse gas savings you might afford by growing crickets could be shot out the window if you have to drive a truck 200 miles a day picking up waste materials just to
0: feed something that it, it might not need to do that, you know so I'm glad you're thinking about all of those little pieces. that's just your life cycle management piece
3: life cycle assessment Oh
2: yes yeah. so um for us, the partnerships that we've developed locally that it, we've built this business around will keep us around here and we've developed a model that can succeed elsewhere, but in the the meantime, we've got this situation here in front of us that we need to use the local resources that we have because we can't just decide, okay, let's go to Omaha and do the same thing right now. Um, Additionally, the climate here is phenomenal for growing insects. They don't like it when it gets cold. Mm -hmm. And uh, the crickets that we're raising need the temperature to be above 85 degrees, about 87 degrees Fahrenheit to be specific. And the energy costs associated with raising the ambient temperature in Santa Barbara to that and adding a little bit of insulation which is unheard of around here is much cheaper than doing something like this in Ohio where it gets really cold in the winter for example and so those two things will be keeping us in Southern California and the third thing is this is just a very forward-thinking community here and there's quite a lot of actual energy behind this every public event that we've done tabling uh, cricket powder or at like Earth Day for example in town there's hundreds of people that are really excited about this and Los Angeles has a very forward-thinking population as well as a lot of Hispanics and Mexicans and that's been a traditional food in Mexico it's much more customary to consume crickets chapulín for example um than somewhere else in the country where there's less of a population like that.
0: So it sounds like we've got the right people thinking about the right problems with the right kind of research, with the right access to uh, capital and partnerships, and most importantly, waste streams that you can fine tune uh, the food. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Uh,
1: yeah, you where know, do we uh, buy? Where do we, can we? go to the website yet or how do we get a hold of your how do we buy powder and add it to our shakes every morning
2: so we don't have powder for sale yet we we graduated in june and uh, we finished the incorporation process we became a c corporation in early july and uh, now like we had mentioned we're moving into this warehouse and we really are are going to be doing r&d for maybe three to six months but in the process of doing that we should be providing product as well so, so. to
0: use your nomenclature you're still nymphs we are still nymphs <laughs> you're not we have not we have right. not
2: developed our chirping wings yet they're right. in there they're just thumping they're ready to come out
0: i love that um, being a guy who's a i'm a foster <laughs> i'm a foster home for butterflies Oh yeah. And so I'm I'm quite enamored right now with I'd say that whole world. In the so
2: butterfly world, we're probably in our cocoon right now. Okay. Yeah. I
0: love that. Well, thank you Tyler and Megan so much from uh, Slightly Nutty is it slightlynutty.com?
2: Slightlynutty.com.
0: I love that. That's a, just such a great name and the name came because that's actually a funny
2: story. Do you have like 30 seconds We move? do. So, we actually made cookies one of the first times we made and any food with cricket powder and we called them chocolate chirps. And <laughs> so we brought them to a party to see what our friends thought of them and And one of them's eating them. He's like, Oh, this is good. Is there peanut butter in it? And we're like, No, no, just crickets and he goes, Huh, it's it's slightly nutty and we're like, Oh, ding, that's it. Ding, <laughs> that's, that's it. I love it. The Before then we were called low trophic solutions. And
0: <laughs> you could add <laughs> yeah, that no. to a buzzword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Low trophic. Pe- can people Google that? Mm, this this yes. coffee
1: tastes slightly low trophic. Yes, is, uh, flaccid
0: yet absurd. Oh uh, yeah. boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. We would really appreciate it, and good luck to you. Thank this you, is, Mark. This we, has been great. We um, we love what's going on out there at UCSB at the Bren Center, and thanks to uh, Dennis Allen of Allen Construction Absolutely. for. Uh, bringing you to our attention and another another reason that there's so many fantastic stories here in the 805 and uh, the, another fantastic 805 conversation. So um, we get to name this episode. So what would you name this episode? Think about that. Send me a note and we'll come up with something clever because people- I have, I have a good one. Well, I, what I, is it? What well, is it?
2: Maybe I should run it by Megan, but <laughs> the, the first thing that came to my mind was crickets the gateway bug
0: I love that <laughs> done done and done the gateway bug beautiful this is my new favorite question of this show so thanks again to California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner Pull Press and Cielo 24 who provides the searchable captions for our show the 805 Connect project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region we want to thank them as well You can get more information about our partners at 805connect.com. Remember, we can use your support. Patrick, tell them how they can support us.
1: Oh, the absolute best way is to uh, go back to iTunes right now and click that little review button and uh, add some stars or any kind of commentary that you'd like to let us know about this uh, episode or any of the episodes. And what that'll do is that'll uh, get the attention of Apple and push us out to more people because we will become a suggestion uh, on the featured pages of New and Noteworthy.
0: I love that. So tell your friends and tell them about crickets, the gateway bug drug. (laughs) Great way bug. Gateway bug. I'll figure it out. Oh, boy. Thanks, you guys. (laughs) Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.